welcome to Reading Together as we are reading through the book The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. And today we are discussing chapter 5. And so this chapter is coming after uh, Owen has addressed three big principles, right? And those three were that all Christians must mortify. That was chapter 2. That mortification is only accomplished by the Spirit, chapter 3. And then mortification's usefulness, which was chapter 4 last week. And now Owen moves into what he calls his principal intention, which is to show how Christians should mortify our sin, right? Which is, I think, the big question that mo- that, that almost anybody reading this book <clears throat> is wanting to have answered, right? Is uh, you pick up the book Mortification of Sin, uh, hoping to be shown how exactly you kill your sin. And in order to show this, he explains uh, that the remainder of the book will consist of three big parts. And uh, we see this on page 54, where he says that first he'll show us what mortification of sin is, and particularly with this chapter, what it is not. Second, he will give two general directions for mortifying sin. And then third, he will give particular directions for this duty, for mortifying our sin. And so as I just noted, this chapter and the following chapter are devoted to answering that first point, what mortification is and what it is not. And this chapter is particularly going to focus on that what it is not. And Owen is going to present to us some false notions and false imitations of mortification. Things that look like that they are mortification, that they are, that they are mortifying sin, but they are not. Right? And so the chapter is structured very simply. Uh, he gives us five examples of what mortification is not. And so let's walk through them briefly together. And so first, uh, mortifying, first he notes that mortifying sin does not mean utterly killing it. Even though, as he points out, we should absolutely strive to do so, right? Uh, And he notes this, I, I love this quote on page 54, though doubtless there may be attained by the Spirit and grace of Christ, a wonderful success and eminency of victory against any sin, so that man may have almost constant triumph over it. Yet, an utter killing and destruction of it, that it should not be, is not in this life to be expected. And he uses, to make this point, Paul as an example who freely admitted in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 that he had not reached perfection against sin, right? And this is the the apostle, right? <laughs> one of the great apostles, one of the people who wrote, uh, uh, who wrote so many books of the New Testament. And he freely admits that he has, that he has not completely defeated sin and goes on in that chapter to say that he would not do so until His earthly body was transformed by Christ's mighty power, right? And so this is a really crucial point for us to remember, that we will not be perfect in this life. We might not even, we we, we shouldn't even expect to kill a particular sin fully, once and for all, in this life. And the reason for that is because it gives us proper expectations for our war against sin. It calls us, on the one hand, not to despair whenever a long-fought sin raises its wounded head up yet again to plague us once more. But it also warns us against 
falling into a sense, into a false sense of security over a sin that we thought we had killed, right? And so we need to keep both of those things in mind, right? That, that, that knowing that, that, we'll, that we shouldn't expect to defeat sin completely and entirely, a particular sin completely and entirely in this life, um, can help us to not despair when sin pops back up that we thought that we had killed. And it also helps us um, to not be lured into a false sense of security thinking that we have killed it uh, because it may indeed rear its ugly head once more. <clears throat> Second, he notes that mortification is not the hiding of outward sins. And so his point here is, is so short that I think it's worth just uh, reading this entire point. He says, I think, I need not say, it is not the dissimulation the, the, the hiding of it, uh, the, 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 the putting on a false pretense um, of, of sin, the, the hypocrisy of sin. When a man, on some outward respects, forsakes the practice of any sin, men perhaps may look on him as a changed man. God knows that to his former iniquity he hath added cursed hypocrisy and is got into a safer path to hell than he was in before. He hath got another heart than he had had that is more cunning, not a heart that is more holy. Man, that is short, sweet, to the point, um, and yet and yet, deeply worthy of meditating, right? So if we, if we kill outward sins, sins that are evident to the world, um, but in reality, we remain the same corrupt person as before. Um, then we we haven't changed for the better, right? Uh, I mean, Owen Owen does note that we we have that, that that such a person has changed. He has got another heart, but his heart's only gotten more cunning when it comes to hiding his sin. But he's not got a heart. He's not got a new heart that's that's holy. That's actually that's uh, actually more in conformity to God, right? Instead, he's stayed the same, the same old sinful person, and he's just added hypocrisy onto it. Hmm. Third, Owen tells us that mortification is not the calming and quieting of passions and affections, and he helpfully warns in this. Um, so he's he, so the the whole point of this of this 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 third point that he gives to us um, is the is to not um, is to not think that that a, that a that a calm and quiet temperament means that that person has mortified sin more than a person who is given to passions um, and to and to uh, into into a, into massive affections, right? And so he notes this, uh, which is which is definitely worth us remembering. He says one man perhaps is never so much troubled all his life with anger and passion, nor doth trouble others, as another is almost every day. And yet the latter may have done more to, mortification, to the mortification of sin than the former, right? Um, so the, the one person may seem to not wrestle with anger, to not wrestle with, wrestle with the passions of the flesh, right? And he doesn't, and he doesn't, he doesn't trouble others. He doesn't bother other people. And he, you know, 
from all surface levels looks like he doesn't wrestle with sin and then you have the other person that, that wrestles with anger wrestles with 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 uh with being a hindrance to people every single day and owen warns us not to think that the first person has mortified sin more than the second person the second person may have a a, a, a disposition that that's more naturally prone to those passions, right? To those fits of anger and all that kind of stuff. And so he maybe, even though he wrestles with them every day, he may be mortifying his sin more than the first person, right? And so this should warn us that we must take great care before passing judgment upon both ourselves and upon others, right? So we must not think that we are truly mortifying sin just because we are not naturally inclined to fits of anger. Right, or we may even say just because the passions of youth uh, dwindle as we get older, right? Um, we shouldn't think um, that just because uh, that just because um, those things um, pacify a little bit as we age, that doesn't mean that we have actually killed them. Nor should we immediately assume that someone who is still actively wrestling against their sinful passions is not mortifying their sin, right? We may see somebody and we may see and they may look like they are still um, fully enmeshed in their sin. And yet, who knows from which from which sins the Lord delivered them? Um, how how when, when they got rescued um, by Christ, when they received their new heart, and how much progress the Lord has brought them in fighting their sin, right? They may still have so much more sin left to fight, so much more outward, um, evident sin. Um, sin that, that's clearly seen to others that still is, that still needs to be killed, right? Um, but how far has the Lord brought them so far, right? Um, so let's take great care before we pass judgment, um, both on ourselves and upon others, right? Fourth, diverting sin is not mortifying sin. And this is kind of connected to the second point, right? I think if I was... Um, if, if 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 I was writing this book in Owen's place, I think I would have put them together in the same point, right? But Owen cites uh, he cites Simon the magician um, in, from Acts chapter eight as an example of this. Simon the magician was one who practiced sorcery, was really great in Samaria, uh, or, was, or was noted as as one who was great by the people. Um, and then Philip preached the gospel, and many people believed, and Simon believed, and he was. He believed the gospel, and he was baptized, and yet he continued to be greedy for the power that magic gave him. Because whenever people received the Holy Spirit by the apostles, when they came and laid hands upon them, it turned out that even though Simon had given up magic, his heart remained unchanged. Because he went and he asked Peter um, that you know, if he could give him money, uh, if he could give Peter money, and then Peter would give him the power to give people the Holy Spirit, right? And so he treated the indwelling of the Spirit as just another kind of magic spell, right? And so fundamentally, he had not changed. Um, just the outward appearance of sin had changed. And so Owen notes on page 56, he says that he that changes pride for worldliness, sensuality for Phariseeism, vanity in himself to the contempt of others, let him not think he hath mortified the sin that he seems to have left. He hath changed his master, but is 
a servant still, right? And that's the that's the big point, right? You can leave one sin, but if you go from one sin to another sin, death is still the consequence, right? You still face the penalties of sin. And I think another quote that's worth um, that's worth mentioning here is one that comes from uh, C.S. Lewis in his book *Mere Christianity*, where he makes a very similar point to this, um, except he focuses particularly um, about how other sins are often diverted into the sin of pride. And so he says this, and I think it's very, very in line with what Owen is presenting to us. He says, Many a man has overcome cowardice or lust or ill temper by learning to think that they are beneath his dignity, that is, by pride. The devil laughs. He is perfectly content to see you becoming chaste and brave and self-controlled, provided all the time he is setting up in you the dictatorship of pride, just as he would be quite content to see your chillbanes cured if he was allowed in return to give you cancer. For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And indeed, it is utter foolishness um, to go uh, to, 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 to leave one, one path that leads to death and to go into another path. While it is a different path, ultimately leads to the exact same end, to the same consequence, to the same, uh, to the same, to the same ending point, right? To the same destination. And so um, that's exactly what we do when we divert from one sin to another sin. It has not been mortified. Fifth and finally, <clears throat> Owen closes out the chapter by noting that occasional conquests of sin do not amount to mortifying it. And so he gives two occasions or seasons where sin may appear to be mortified for a time, right? But it's, but it's not. It's not actually killed. It's not actually being killed, right? But just for a season. And the first is when a man is awakened suddenly to, as Owen says, to the disturbance of his peace, terror of his conscience, dread of scandal, and evident provocation of God. In other words, a man gets awakened to the dreadful reality of sin, and he sees it along with its immediate and eternal consequences. And for that season, although sin seems to be killed for just a a moment or two, the guilt and fear eventually die away, which then emboldens sin to come up out of hiding once more. The second circumstance that he gives to us is during a time of judgment, calamity, or pressing affliction that convicts men of their sin and leads them to a momentary renouncement of sin, right? And he cites in here, um, Psalm 78, verses 32 through 38, which is uh, worth reading here. For all this they sinned and believed not his wondrous works. That's God's wondrous works. Therefore their days he did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. When he slew them, then they sought him and they returned and inquired early after God. God, God gave them affliction, right? God slew them. God, 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 God uh, gave uh, disciplined their people, right? 
Um, and so the people turned to him. They repented, right? They sought him and came back to him. But then notice how it keeps going. And they remembered that God was their rock and the high God, their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouths and they lied unto him with their tongues for their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Hmm. And so Owen uses this as, a, um, as an example. These are people that they remembered God, remembered that God was their rock and they and they turned to the high God, their Redeemer, right? The God who is above all, all gods, right? The, the true and living God. And yet, as they did so, they did so with lying mouths and with flattering tongues, right? They, they, they came back to God, but they didn't actually leave their sin. And so I think both of these circumstances, I think um, if we're honest with ourselves, um, I'm sure that each of us has been in both of these times um, and seen and seen seasons exactly like this, um, a season where we where we see the dreadfulness of sin, right, and make a momentary change, but it doesn't last and the sin comes back or, or an affliction in life that helps show to us um, how how deadly sin is, right, and we and we, 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 we leave it for a moment. We say that we're never going to go back and it, and it comes up again. But all of this, if this continues to be the way, if, 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 if all we ever do is do those occasional little conquests of sin, and notice that those are not the broken, those are not occasions that, uh, that, that, that bring about the broken and contrite heart uh, that David talks about in Psalm 51. But instead, these are moments where... Right, I would say um, that we care more about the consequences of sin as opposed uh, to caring about the holiness of God and longing to actually love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, right? Because in reality, that's the, that's the great commandment, right? It's the commandment that all the other commandments are summed up as, right? We can focus on the negative all day long of you shall have no other gods be for me, but ultimately that command has to be fulfilled in loving God, right? And so we can't ever kill our sin fully until we kill it for the right reasons. We turn to God. I mean, and it's not just about escaping the consequences of sin, though that is a, though that is a, um, uh, God uses that as discipline for us uh, to, 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 to lead us to getting away from our sins, to mortifying our sins, to killing them. And yet, that cannot be the only reason. That'll only ever lead to these occasional conquests of sin. These times where, where we, we, we put sin, we think that we put sin in the grave, but in reality it's just hiding for a moment or two and it comes back up. And so each of these five things that Owen gives to us, these are false imitations of mortification. Um, and so let us carefully consider each of these that he has presented to us. And most importantly, let us strive to rightly mortify our sin, which is exactly what Owen will describe for us in this next chapter and in the rest of the book.